Welcome to Connecting with the Toms podcast. I'm your co-host, Julie Tom, a trauma-informed movement specialist. I'm Dr. Dick Tom, a biological medicine physician. Uh, we wish to share the untold truth about health and fitness industry based on our combined 70 plus years of experience. We want you to connect and feel empowered in your own mind and body by interacting with each other. This show is about connection for you, for us, and for the world. This is Connecting with the Toms podcast. Let's start connecting. Welcome to Connecting with the Toms. I'm Julie. I'm Dr. Tom. And today we're going to be talking about something that is currently estimated to be affecting over 55 million people worldwide. It's already affecting 60% who live in low and income countries. And by 2050, it will rise to 71%. And a new case of this is arises somewhere in the world every three seconds. What we're going to be talking about is cognitive decline. And these statistics are from the Alzheimer's Disease International, if you're curious. So these are true statistics. So we're going to get started right away and talk about what are people currently experiencing day to day now that are sh- showing signs? How do we know we're feeling or showing signs of cognitive decline today? You know, one of the interesting things that, that we that I see in the clinic uh, with patients who, you know, that's not usually or not the common reason that they're coming because they're coming for something else. But, you know, if we just say, like, like when was the last time you were, you know, where are my car keys? Uh, oh, I put them somewhere. I think they're in my purse. Oh, no, no, I, oh, no, I put them on the counter. You walked into a room and it's like, what did I walk in this room for? Uh, or you're talking to somebody and say, you remember so-and-so, but what's her name again? That type of thing. I mean, these are the everyday type of experiences that in fact, we all are experiencing. We probably all experience, but we don't think much of it because, oh yeah, you, you get, you know, you remember whatever it is that you're doing uh, a few seconds later. However, these are the, the natural signs or the natural indicators that what you're experiencing are in the inevitable aspects of mild cognitive decline that's a simply a part of aging. Uh, so aging is, you know, goes not only with the physical body and the organs and our skin becoming more wrinkly because we don't have as much collagen in it, et cetera. But along with that comes uh, the neurological changes, which we'll, you know, we'll touch on today and the idea that uh, hopefully we'll be able to leave you some some tips and pointers of things you may be doing or may not be aware of. First of all, as far as memory is concerned, then how do you improve your memory? Take stock of, you know, are you finding your, yourself more challenged? Can you do uh, uh, multiplication in your head? You probably could do it when you were in school, but, you know, can you still multiply, uh, you know, 12 times 15 in your head or do you have to get the calculator out uh, type thing? And, uh, you know, can, can you do division and can you do addition? And, you know, what's the percent that, you know, what percent, if you take 5% off, you know, 133, what is that number? Can you do that in your head? Or it's like, oh, no, I need to write that down. So those are things you could do at some point in your life, I'm sure. But uh, why can't you do it anymore? It's that type of thing that, you know, you can sort of catch yourself and try and figure out what, what uh, should I be able to do, even as I get older, and people who are sharp can still do it. But, you know, we live in an economy now, or an economy, live in a society now that, uh, you know, you reach for the calculator, uh, you know, you ask for your smartphone, you say, Alexa, what is, what is 5% of 133? And it's like, 
we stop using our brain. And that is one of the big issues that uh, we're, we have to talk about today. 100%. That's the problem is that there are tools at our disposal that make us not think anymore. And same thing with movement. There are things that, you know, cars and toilet seats and desks and things that make us move less. So you're absolutely right. So the first, like, first rule of healing club people is awareness. So ask yourself, do you have difficulty performing familiar tasks? Ask yourself, have, you know, has a family or friend to actually told me that I keep repeating the same question over and over again? Or do you have trouble recalling words or names in conversations? Or do you have trouble just concentrating? So yeah, it can be like, can you do math? I don't think I ever did math very well anyway. But what's what's important to understand is that when you struggle to recall, it could be, you know, it could be a stress, you know, a stress factor, just that your brain just doesn't have the capacity anymore to work like that. So do you want to dive into some some tips or some effective therapies that people can start doing? Like noticing like, yeah, actually, you know, I do catch myself. I can't remember what I ate yesterday. Or um, is that normal? Like, should I be able to remember what I ate yesterday? Or is that a sign of aging? Not necessarily. So there's a lot of the things that we may raise are like, there's no definitive right or wrong. There's no definitive yes or no. So the first thing I would say you know, when patients come in and I have a concern about it, usually because they have a, a family member uh, that that they do know, unfortunately, is in the throes of the end stage of this, which you know, we're calling Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. You know, Bruce Willis recently was just, you know, officially diagnosed with prefrontal dementia, where he's, you know, pretty much, you know, can't speak anymore uh, type thing. So it's not just Alzheimer's, there's other conditions. Uh, that are fairly progressive that are important one of the biggest challenges i find in practice nowadays is when people when somebody says oh i i forgot where i was going and that type of thing and the first thing you've got to take off your plate is how many how many balls are you trying to juggle at the same time you know there's a saying that the brain can sort of keep about seven can keep about seven thoughts uh at any one instant and as soon as you try to go the eighth thought, it's like, what the hell? What, the, what was the last one I just trying to think of? So there's only a finite number of, of things you can remember. So the first thing for memory is take some of the stuff off your plate. Don't think that you have to remember, you know, we have day timers. You can write things down. Some things that are not important that you shouldn't have, you should have at the tip of your fingers can easily be you know, solved by just, you know, having a list of things. And so, you know, of course, you were thinking about other things in the daytime uh, and that kind of stuff. So the, the first aspect and probably the simplest and most important aspect that we have harbored throughout these podcasts is there's excellent research that the number one reason that people forget something is because their brain is dehydrated. The brain is about 80% water, and we know that, you know, you have to be about 3% dehydrated before you even get thirsty, but you only need to be 1% dehydrated before the brain starts to, you know, not being able to carry out all its functions. So go back to our earlier podcast, how much water are you drinking? Are you drinking half your body weight in ounces, half your body weight pounds in ounces on a regular basis? To make sure, and more if you're active, more if it's a hot day, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, clear your plate of sort of the non-essential things that you have to keep at the the you know the edge of your thought process, 
But more importantly, keep yourself well hydrated. And they've done research with animals that would show that you know if you dehydrate an animal, it's like they they can't possibly figure out a maze. If they're well hydrated, they learn the maze and they can do it easily on and on. So there's those types of things that uh, I think we we need to be the most uh, evident and most concerned about as a, as a starting point. Hydration back to the basic treatment guidelines, back to making sure that you have proper nutrition, uh, back to make sure that your blood sugar is adequate, is adequate, uh, back to ensure that you're getting adequate oxygen up to the brain, adequate blood flow, flow up to the brain. I mean, all the obvious things that uh, we have talked about throughout the podcast uh, up to this point in time, I think are the, is the starting point that we have to be mindful of. Out of all those things, which one do I start with? Because if I'm like obviously overwhelmed and stressed, knowing where to start. Do I start with hydration? Do I start with breathing? Do I start with uh, the food? So, you know, depending on who you follow, who do you, like, what would you say you start with? Because you can't do all three. Like you just said, there's seven balls and I'm like, I have my eighth one, I'm gonna tip over. Like I, there's no way I can add three more balls to my seven. It's not gonna happen. Breathing has to be number one because, you know, how long can you hold your breath? Ah, you, know, you can yes. theoretically, you can theoretically go, you know, a day or two, but you wouldn't feel very good, but you wouldn't need to drink water. Uh, you know, there are, look at the people in, unfortunately in Turkey, they, you know, 11 days, somebody was found uh, alive. Like how do you survive for 11 days without water and food? They did. So it's feasible, although awfully uh, unlikely, uncommon, but you can't survive uh, more than what, eight minutes or so we'll say without oxygen to your brain uh, before we get into brain death so if you're not consciously aware of deep breathing and we had the whole podcast on that aspect of you know the a goal of uh, five or six breaths per minute totally oxygenating your tissue and now we know with cpr uh, the biggest issue is less so much about breathing but if you see somebody who has a cardiovascular accident we now know that the most important things is chest compressions because the, there's enough oxygen in the blood that keeps supplying the brain uh, for several minutes if we can just keep the, the heart moving and, and moving the blood around. So absolutely, the most important thing is deep breaths and breathing throughout the day, making sure that you're getting adequate amounts of oxygen constantly into the brain because that's where it's badly needed uh, before you start significant decline uh, so that's the number one how often i know you recommend 100 deep breaths a day is that what you would recommend somebody does here as well well that's the starting point the goal is is that what my patients uh, are, are now re realizing that the more they do it the more they start doing it automatically and they don't even have to think about it so yeah we take seventeen thousand breaths you know plus or minus uh, per se so how long does it take to do 100 conscious deep breaths? Not very long. So if you can retrain your brain, which is what we're really trying to do uh, here, you will automatically, because the body feels so much better when you do these deep breaths because you are fully oxygenating your, your brain. So yes, we start with 100. How do we do it? We put up the signs again. It's on your dashboard. It's on your bathroom mirror. It's on your bedside table. It's on the refrigerator. It's uh, the cupboard. Etc. So you see, oh, why don't I just stop for the next 30 seconds and, uh, you know, take two or three deep breaths? 
getting the brain realizing that that's what it is you need to do. 100 is the minimum. It'll eventually become many, many more throughout the day. A natural way, something that's free is working on your breathing. You can also work on, you know, hydration, as you said. Um, but how do doctors typically treat cognitive decline? For the most part, I would say they don't because they're more concerned about, oh, you have high blood pressure or your cholesterol is too high or your blood sugar is out of balance. And, you know, metabolically, they, they're more or less focusing uh, on that aspect. And even, unfortunately, if you look at mental illness, uh, you know, they're they're looking for the the latest antidepressant. They're looking for an anti-anxiety drug. You know, they, there's always concerns. You know, Ativan right now is in short supply, so everybody's concerned that they won't have their anti-anxiety. Uh, I'm freaking out. What do I do? Where's my Ativan? So I mean, medicine still focuses. Uh, you know, uh, the barn door is wide open. The horse is three miles down the road. They say, well, maybe we should close the barn door per se, and it's, they're never sort of trying to deal with it from our perspective of, but, you know, how much of depression, how much of high blood pressure, how much of your blood sugar dysregulation uh, is, is relating, causing part of the cognitive decline. And so for the most part, my patient population anyway, their doctor never asks them about memory unless they bring it up because their mother or grandmother or an aunt uh, has just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. You know, the, the recent Bruce Willis thing sort of puts it in the people's level of consciousness uh, now or for a brief period of time because they look at somebody who, you know, has had a very active, busy life, uh, you know, has made over 100 uh, motion pictures per se, say, well, how can, how can he, can, how, why did that happen to him? Uh, you know, he was he was certainly active, but what we don't know is these simple things about was he hydrated all the time? Where were you? Are you in a state of of uh, relaxation? Uh, are you in a state where you're managing your stress? Are you in a state where your blood sugar is is properly uh, balanced, et cetera, et cetera? Do you want to touch on some of the risk factors of cognitive decline? The risk factors is getting old. That's the number one. Uh, it's <laughs> okay. like uh, if you don't want to, if you don't want to have any kind of cognitive decline, uh, you'll have to check out really early uh, in life. Uh, well, you know, we know the brain, uh, you know, as we talked about a couple ago about the uh, book, Begin Again, the whole stages of development that our brain doesn't actually fully mature until, you know, the mid-20s uh, you know, easily. So at that point, we have, you know, we'll say full cognitive awareness uh, at that point in time. And then from that point on, throughout the next uh, you know six decades seven decades uh, or so there's a slow decline based on so many types of things it's our exposure it's toxicity it's, you know it's the environment aspects of how is the body uh, you know getting rid of uh, the things that we are constantly being exposed to uh, on an everyday basis so we have the we have the components that uh, you start with the aspects of We'll always go back to this. It'll be the broken record. What are you doing for yourself on an everyday basis that we're calling basic treatment guidelines, which basically are natural laws? Do you get enough sleep? It's, it's there's so there's fifty thousand articles on sleep. It's it's like weekly they're coming out. We now know seven and a half to eight and a half hours is what is required to properly uh, re-nourish the brain. 
to, to give it the opportunity to cement some of the things that we've learned. And, you know, studies with university students have shown, you know, with, with uh, of course, I was a professor for 27 years, so I observe this all the time. The, the aspect of, you know, when, when students, when medical school students and any student would, would sort of cram before a final exam and they would only get three or four hours of sleep the day before the exam, they'd go in and they'd pass the exam. And then, you know, I, I did a very mean trick uh, on a couple of occasions throughout my career. And because I, I was teaching a class where you know, we gave it, we gave a little quizzes every week. And so, you know, every week it's a, there's a specific topic. So your exam would be on that topic. So three weeks after uh, I finished the exam, I gave them the same exam that I gave them three weeks ago. And they all freaked out and they couldn't pass because they didn't remember the stuff that we learned three weeks ago because they were, they, they don't get enough sleep. You need the seven. If you want to remember something that you just learned, if you don't get seven and a half plus hours, you can't cement that into the area of our brain that is responsible for remembering things. So good sleep is constantly, constantly what must be emphasized as, as another important component. And like breathing, uh, it's something that you can do. And it doesn't mean that if, you know, you have to get up early and go to the airport uh, one day that, uh, you know, that's going to be a problem. We're talking that sort of the day in, day out. So hopefully seven days a week, most days of the month, but you know, if a couple of days a month, something happens, uh, et cetera. We know what, you know, we, we know with you, with the young moms, with babies who are, who are getting up, you know, they, we call it pregnancy brain and baby brain because, Hey, well, how come I can't remember anything? Well, you're not remembering anything because you're not getting enough oxygen and you're not getting enough sleep to cement things into your brain, which is why you forget, oh my God, I forgot the diaper bag when we went here. It's like, you better go buy some diapers, that type thing. You know, it's that type of everyday thing that, you know, it's like, oh, we just take it for granted. It's that type of everyday thing. And of course, as we get older, you know, we're not having children in our 50s per se, we're having children in our 20s, which you have the ability to adapt. However, you're setting that you're setting the stage for what happens when you get to 50 and 60 and 70, uh, when we start to see more often the actual diagnosis of these types of problems. Is there a particular age that, you know, people that it starts showing up at? You know, it's, that's an interesting question because I, I would have said, you know, when I started practice five decades ago, uh, you never heard about it. And at least I didn't hear about it. And I would say people probably under 40. Uh, but 40 would have been would have been an interesting age uh, ultimately to hear that. But now because uh, people are experiencing the aspects of their, of their direct relatives, they're asking at age 25 uh, because they forgot where their keys were or something. Uh, so it's much, much younger now uh, that people are asking about it. They're not in any state of dementia, obviously. However, there, there is an awareness uh, that that is there. And that's nearly always a sleep issue. It's nearly always a hydration issue. Uh, it's nearly always I have too many things on my plate issue, which are easily solvable problems at that young age. They don't become as easily sol solvable when you get to age 50, unless you, I mean, you can solve them. And it's, it's never a done deal, uh, so to speak. The, one of the things that that's important to know is early onset, true dementia, early onset. Once again, I mean, we're going to use Alzheimer's, but remember, that's not the only form of dementia that's out there. It's just the most common one. 
uh, that we you hear about. If you have a, uh, a direct relative who had early onset dementia, let's say in their 40s, that's a very high risk for you. That Those people need to be much, much more proactive in, uh, very early on uh, because they're certainly epigenetically and genetically, they're predisposed, we'll say, or predestined to that unless they take very aggressive uh, steps uh, early on. Very much about prevention on that part. Are you aware of any uh, mineral deficiencies for people who have a, who show signs of de cognitive decline? The number one is going to be B vitamins, specifically uh, now known as MTHFR, uh, which is a metrotetrahydrofolate genetic deficiency. It has to do with the, uh, the body's ability to metabolize vitamin B12 uh, vitamin B6 and folic acid. It's a very common uh, genetic defect in society, supposedly up to 40% of people. And what it results in is the, uh, the rise of a product called homocysteine. That's, that's a breakdown product. It's a result lack of a breakdown product. I heard a couple of years ago uh, a physician who that all his work was in Alzheimer's, both in research and clinically. And homocysteine, uh, you know, if you look at, if you ask your doctor to do it, if you've ever had it measured, depending on what lab you're doing, but generally they, you know, they, the so-called reference range is like between two and 15. It, it, the, besides being uh, a marker for this cognitive decline, it's also a marker of inflammation. So that's how it typically has been used in society as an inflammatory marker. But uh, this Alzheimer researcher said that almost invariably uh, his cutoff is five. So if your homocysteine levels are greater than five, then you need to do some work to do whatever you need to do to try and lower that because there, in his experience through all the years of research, he said almost always when you, when you look at the homocysteine level of a dementia patient, it's going to be much higher than five. So I used to use personally use seven. But after listening to him, now I suggest five is our goal to see if we can get it down. Now, it involves taking B vitamins that we call are in a methylated form, which now are fairly common. They're only they're actually only around since about 2005 after we figured out the epigenetic aspect of what this is all about. Uh, you know, before that, we didn't even know about that. Uh, so when you are using a B complex, it behooves you to actually use one that's methylated and should say that right on the label. And it'll be a little bit more expensive because of the fact that the, the manufacturer has to go through another sort of process to, to make sure that you don't need that particular enzyme to break the B6, B12, and folic acid down. And what that does is it prevents the buildup of homocysteine. So that's probably the first nutrient that I would think about. You know, it's not the only nutrient. And you think about uh, essential fatty acids, specifically uh, DHA. Uh, so we have EPA and DHA. So when you eat fish and avocados and uh, oils and nuts and seeds, you know, we're getting these essential fatty acids. People probably are more familiar with it for inflammatory disease or heart disease. Uh, they've been shown to be uh, particularly helpful. However, uh, EPA is great for inflammation, but it does nothing in the brain. You need the DHA, 
And the people who really need this are babies because their brain is so active and developing, which is why I literally, from the day the baby is born, we're actually giving a few drops of DHA to the baby because their brain is so active and developing in those first uh, several years uh, that that's essentially important. So taking uh, essential fatty acids to ensure that you have adequate levels of the DHA on an ongoing basis, in addition to eating those foods uh, in your diet, of course, are always a necessary important component of supporting brain health. So you know, we have the B vitamins, we have, you know, the, the essential fatty acids, but don't overlook any nutrient. Uh, you know, we have, we'll say 75 or 80 uh, micronutrients. People usually think of minerals as calcium because of osteoporosis and magnesium for our muscles, uh, you know, and zinc and iron for anemia and our blood, et cetera. Yeah, of course, they're, they're all essential. And any, any nutrient that is insufficient can have an effect on brain function, uh, with some being, we'll say, more important than the others. So the balance uh, that we have always talked about, uh, the diff more different colors of, of the foods that you eat, specifically fruits and vegetables, 10 is the, what the goal has shown, uh, is the most ideal, because the research in 2018 was pretty definitive that that's incredibly significant. So. Uh, lots of different colors, which gives us what we call lots of different phytonutrients uh, with a focus on water, um, a focus on essential fatty acids become two of the absolutely essential things that we need to be mindful of on an everyday basis. And to add on to that, so an article that I read a while ago was iodine and the importance of how it impacts memory especially for babies and like when you're pregnant i think i read it when i was getting or trying to get pregnant or when i was pregnant and the importance of having iodine because that there's a uh, low iodine does impact neurological development so so to go on that point the reason it affects neurological development is because the iodine is actually theoretically only used in two tissues in the body the thyroid gland in your breast Saying. So we know that people are low in iodine, they're probably going to be low in thyroid hormone. And thyroid hormone is in pregnancy is can be totally devastating because you hear cretinism, uh, where the baby is literally born with virtually very low thyroid function. It has a dramatic impact. Thyroid hormone, like any other hormones, has an impact on that. So so that's why nutrients have an indirect effect. You know, if you have low iron and you're anemic, that means you're not getting enough oxygen. Obviously, it's it's so everything is sort of on a like a hamster wheel. It right. may be not directly affecting the brain because it's you know the brain is basically fat. Uh, you know, it's a fatty organ, so to speak, which is why we just said that essential fatty acids are so essential. That's why we said water is so important. But if you take any one nutrient out. Uh, it's going to have a cascade effect that's going to have a nature. Uh, obviously, getting the widest variety of colors, uh, which is how we get most of our minerals, uh, is absolutely essential uh, to maintain uh, proper uh, brain function and minimize the aspect of what is inevitable of cognitive decline. In terms of diet, let's say, you know, I do have a, I'm aging and I do have a, a, a history in my family. Is there a particular diet that you would suggest, or is it just get your 10 colors? That's the main thing and get your supplements in. Well, generally speaking, the other aspect, of course, 
that's not part of this presentation, but you know, as we age, osteoarthritis becomes very prevalent yeah. because it's the rare person who doesn't start complaining of my knees are sore, my hips are sore, my neck is sore, you know, I have aches and pains, I'm stiff. But it's, I yeah, hear it yeah. every day. So yeah, it's like, so we say that. So, you know, we, and while theoretically that's a osteoarthritis is a wear and tear problem, as first inflammatory arthritis, which, you know, we'll say is rheumatoid arthritis, just at the proverbial anti-inflammatory diet in general, which means we try and minimize inflammatory foods in addition to ensuring adequate colors. We also are trying to minimize things. And what are the most common ones to create inflammation? Well, surprise, surprise, it's going to be processed food, things that are flour-based, that, that the body, the, that the food has been broken down, you know, in general. And, you know, sometimes I'll say to a patient, uh, you know, the best diet that you can eat is if you can tell me what it is that you're eating, I'll let you eat it. So I'll say, oh, good, I'll eat bread. I said, no. Show me where you grow bread. Well, you don't grow bread. It's made from a grain. Well, what grain is it? Oh, I don't know. Well, then you can't eat it. So if you don't know what the food actually is, uh, then you can't eat it. So, you know, you can eat. Uh, so when it's coming out of a box, you don't know what's in that box. You know, you'd probably get as much nutrition by eating the box as you would in the box, uh, per se. So what people tend to do, understandably, is as people get older, they tend to gravitate to convenience foods, it's carbs. So they eat crackers and they eat bagels and they put cheese on it, uh, you know, because it's easy, it tastes good, but you know, cook, oh, I mean, I gotta steam some vegetables? Oh, it's like, it's such a pain. You mean I gotta, I gotta cook some fish? It's like, oh, it's such a, such a pain. So people gravitate to this thing that comes out of a box and that's, a real problem because it's contributing to the very problem that we're talking about. So there's a lot of factors going on. That's so like many. okay. Many. <laughs> so is there well okay, so what impacts the pace of decline? So let's say I am showing signs. I'm I'm assuming like doing the basic treatment guidelines, everything that you just said, the therapies like that will well that I'm sure that'll impact the decline or is there some research that shows that some people like, so Mike, I'm just thinking about like my father-in-law, like he started wandering and, you know, we had to put him in a home and that sort of thing. And it took, I think it took about five years for him to pass away. Whereas like my grandmother, she lived with Alzheimer's for a heck of a long time. So how come some people decline a little bit faster than others? Because it depends on what happened in all the years leading up to that point in time. Fortunately, you know, it isn't something that you're healthy until, you know, a certain age. Uh, let's say we'll just pick 50. It's like, oh, I'm healthy till I was 50. Uh, and then suddenly something happened and I'm not healthy anymore. So the aspect of literally, you know, as parents, uh, you know, I, I, I tell parents who, you know, are, are wanting to have a child, well, you need to start one year before you conceive the child to try and get as, as optimally healthy as possible because, you know, what you're imparting to the, to the newborn, to the fetus and then the newborn baby are all the aspects that you ultimately have experienced. So the, so health is something that isn't just, you know, you, you have it until one day you don't. Health is something that's a, that's a lifelong process. And the more that we're aware of what we can do for our children, 
uh, then and then as you know as we age through the different process there are seven different phases of development it's an important aspect to be thinking about what it is that we're doing so it's an ongoing process you know if you if you have the aspect of uh you know doing the types of things there's no guarantees there's no guarantees in life about anything there's no guarantees about your health uh, but all we can do is hedge our bets and the more likely it is that you that you're following natural laws or you're following the basic treatment guidelines and doing some aspect of that on a regular basis, yeah, you probably will have a much better outcome. You know, the other thing that we haven't touched on yet about that uh, is the importance of, although we did, I guess, we talked about math problem, uh, is to keep your brain engaged. Uh, we also know that, you know, one of the most rapid declines is so-called when people you know, retire. And well, what are you doing in your retirement? They're sitting in front of the television and they're watching, you know, a sitcom or they're watching, you know, the prices right or, you know, something that's not very stimulating. It doesn't stimulate their brain. So that's why we see people who are doing Sudoku, uh, doing you know, crossword puzzles and, you know, playing some type of uh, interactive where you actually have to think. Uh, and engage your brain. People stop reading nowadays. Now we go always, everybody listens to an audio book and they freaking open a book. Oh, I don't know how to read anymore. So I was like, uh, let's let's get back to the books and let's not read off a, off Kindle uh, because we know that that it doesn't engage the brain differently. And there's enough. And this unfortunately is the generations that are growing up because we pretty much see you know young children in kindergarten. And all through college, they're learning everything off a computer screen. And you do not learn the same reading off a computer screen as you do off a, uh, actually out of a textbook uh, per se. And, you know, in my day, because I'm one of those old cronies, uh, you know, we didn't have the internet. Uh, we, I had to go in the library and read all this stuff about medicine. Uh, now, Friggy, you can Google anything. And now we have this artificial intelligence that people are saying, well, I don't have to learn anything. It's like, you know, you don't even have to learn how to, to write anymore because they have uh, students who basically are having an essay on Google or you know, whatever the program is. I write an essay on, uh, I actually just, a patient told me uh, on Friday, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, the maid of honor for, for at a wedding. Uh, so, so Google, write me a speech. Uh, and include things like uh, pleasant and nice and engaging and, and you know, friendly. And, and the Google wrote the speech, the whole speech. And then, well, why don't you add, add this to it? Rewrote it. And like in five minutes, they had an entire speech. They didn't write one word down. What's going to happen to kids? If they're going to think, why would, I, why would I learn how to add two and two? You know, you go to, into a, a store now, you know, and if the cash register is a young person, you say, well, I want, you know, give me change. And they have to look at the cash register to figure out how much change to give. It's like, whoa, what a society uh, ultimately that, uh, you know, that we're doing lending uh, our, our society to. So that, unfortunately, I think is going to be something that it's an ongoing uh, aspect of uh, what where we're going. And so I think the statistic that you mentioned uh, when we started uh, is is pretty right on. And in fact, I think it's going to be underreported. That's an underreported statistic because I think people are going to use less and less of their brain in the, in the name of convenience. Uh, and people are going to say, why would I bother going to school? I don't have to do anything anymore. Uh, 
uh, per se. And so the less we use our brain, the faster you're going to lose the ability to use the brain. And so instead of seeing people, you know, in assisted living at 75, 80, 90 years old, you're going to see them in assisted living at 50, 60, and 70 years old. That's my prediction. That's scary to think about. So are there any particular exercise? So is there a particular type of exercise that you'd help? Like you said, word games and whatnot. Something that uh, I do with my clients is called the Stroop test. If you're not familiar with the Stroop test, it's basically, it measures your selective attention capacity. So imagine uh, a screen and you have some words written on it, like a different colors and uh, behind it will be a, a different color. So I'll ask you to read the writing, the color of the word or the background and whatnot. So it's playing with trying to get you to focus on, on a specific, like what's, what are you seeing? So, um, but are you familiar with any particular um, exercise? Like is aerobic exercise good for the brain? Is, you know, strength training, yoga, Pilates? Is there any particular exercise that you recommend your patients do to help with cognitive uh, decline? <laughs> This will be a cop-out. The easiest, the only exercise that's really important is one that they'll do. Okay. You can, rec you can recommend, recommend any, everything you just said is absolutely awesome. But, you know, if I was to recommend yoga to a bunch of people, said, Yo, it's just forget it. I'm not doing, that. <laughs> I'm not doing well, yoga. Yeah. I can't, I can't meditate. That's like, I'm not, that's a, what a waste of time is, is to meditate. Uh, strengthening exercise. Oh, that's for people in their 20s. It says, I, I got enough muscles. I'm, I'm fine. Say aerobics. Oh, are you kidding? It's like who wants to breathe hard? It's like I want. I'd rather watch this movie on Netflix. Why would I want to do any of that? So obviously, the people who are asking the question have a little more motivation than that. But unfortunately, that's the I'll call it the illness in our society. That the easier it is, the more they want it. Freeway got self-driving cars now. It's like they're they're just going to have to sit in the car and program it in and da da da. -da you know, look out the window. It's it's a scary thought about. We have to not even engage our brain anymore. Have to. So I don't know what's going to happen when people have to have a conversation with somebody because they won't know what the how what the talk is. They won't learn how to talk. They're going to become mutes and they're going to have to pull their phone out and say, "Google, talk to this person," because yeah. you know, talk about this because they don't know what to say uh, anymore to people. So it's a very scary thought about this, you know, artificial intelligence that we keep starting to hear about it. What mm -hmm. type of a decline we're going to see in society, especially in younger people? And you know, years ago, of course, they the kids learn have to be taught cursive writing because they don't know how to sign sign their name unless it's typed or printed. It's like yeah. what, you can't you can't even do cursive writing anymore. It's like how scary is it that uh, the, the direction that ultimately we're going in, in this regard? It is. So, that's why it's 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 true. Because I'm like, I have young kids, and seeing the work that they're doing. I'm, I mean, we do work on cursive, but they always ask me like, "Why do you sign your name like that, mommy?" And like, they've seen my signature change, um, I guess, and through seeing some documents or whatever. But um, you're right. And like, uh, Chat GPT. I mean, it's a thing. A lot of people are using it now. They're using AIs to help them write and uh, not using their brain. Like it's. It's it's scary to think about, and like we can can we get to choose. We have a choice in this, and if you want to make things easier for yourself, that's your choice. And you're, there's going to be a side effects. There's going to be symptoms, and cognitive decline is a big one. Before we started this podcast, Dad, you talked about the pandemic and how this has impacted the maybe the incline 
in the number of cognitive decline that we're seeing, like the number of cases that we're seeing? How did the pandemic impact, or do you know, has it impacted? Is it still too early to tell if it's impacted cognitive decline for people? I don't think it's it, it's too early at all because we have already we're already seeing a number of things. I would say the biggest challenge that the pandemic did is it put people into social isolation, uh, and with social isolation came with a lot of uh, specific types of health problems. Specifically, I will say mental, emotional, from depression to anxiety, to learn to not being able to interact uh, with people. Uh, in general. And so what we're starting to see in regards as a result of that pandemic uh, is the aspect that, you know, companies, which initially during the pandemic said, oh, you you can work from home. Oh, you're very productive. Uh, you know, you're, you're able to, we, the company was able to produce uh, the equivalent amount of work, of whether a person was sitting in their home office or whether they were physically, uh, you know, in a physical space. But now what they're, but now, but now what they're realizing is that they miss the social interaction. And so companies, even like Google and things, are saying that you know people are going to have to come back to the office and no longer can you live in Mexico and you know, uh, you know, and, and have your office in New York City. Uh, you know, you live there because the weather's nicer, but you can still work in New York City because you tele telecommute uh, per se. So they're now realizing that without social interaction, without the actual interaction with people. And so what ultimately happens when you don't have the, have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody real that you can actually sit, you know, knee to knee with them, eye to eye with them versus looking at a computer screen, uh, that there's, there is a slow natural decline because we're, we always are not using all aspects of our, our memory aspect, the memory components of the brain per se, just like I said earlier, Reading off a, of a Kindle, a Kindle, or a, a computer screen does not engage the same parts of the brain that reading out of a book uh, will be. Somebody asked me, "Am I going to put my book on audio?" I said, "You're going to learn more if you actually open the book and read the pages because you'll remember it because it will be more lasting." So I don't have any plans of doing it, although I recognize that some people will not sit and read. But that itself is a problem in our society: is people will not take the time. So in other words, once again, we're back into multitasking. Instead of sitting and reading the book, doing a single thing, they're wanting to listen to it and do five other things at the same time. And then they say, well, what did you just read? Oh, I don't remember what I just read. Well, why? Because you were doing four other things. If you want to truly remember what it is that you're engaging in, focus on that aspect, read it out of an actual book, uh, per se, and you'll have a much greater, better likelihood that you'll have a lasting impression. Uh, you just totally called me out on that. <laughs> that's so me. <laughs> that's me. That's, I'm like, what, that's I, our society. Yeah. But I used, I'm like, in my defense, I like, I only read books on Audible now, um, but I do it when I walk. And so I'm not, so it's kind of like, there's a there's a benefit of like moving my body but that's where i'm like when i have a really good book i go for a heck of a lot more walks and that's kind of like my rules i'm only i'm not allowed to sit and listen that's like my main rule well, so that that, that way that we should make that the rule of thumb then because if you're moving and doing that i think that's a great that that's would be the perfect time to do it because you don't even you don't have to be thinking about walking it's an automatic behavior yes. And so you can actually be listening to the words. You can actually be taking it in and you're not being distracted by three kids who are 
mommy no. do this mommy do that that's or, why i can't I read gotta it. make dinner or yes uh you know i get it uh, moms can't sitting on the couch because one of the kids is going to come and say mom will you fix this or tie my shoe or yeah yeah whatever it is kids are mm -hmm. always wanting you to answer or you know etc so actually i think that that would be i would consider that in a very acceptable way uh, of, well, of doing a, an audiobook but not doing an audiobook as you're cooking and answering your kids questions and you know trying to do uh you know something else but i think walking is absolutely the best walking the dog would even be better because now you got the uh, the dog to be part of the of the enjoyment of the activity of actually doing it well that's what usually happens is i'm sitting on the couch and if i'm trying to read my dog comes and paws me and he's like, let's go. So yeah. I'm like, there's some engagement there. So that's what's happened to me. That's kind of like the evolution. So that's been my rule. And then, but the problem is if I don't have a book that I really enjoy at the time, I'm like, I'm not walking as much. <laughs> so it's like, get a good book and you walk a heck of a lot more. But that's been my um, experience. But anyway, good to know. And that's the thing. It's true. You're 100% right. Like for me, it's funny. My husband's like, we can't go five minutes in this house without a kid saying mom. It's just, it, it just, I hear it every five minutes and it's like, I, my friend's like, how do you do it? And I'm like, you just kind of tune it out, but it's true. You don't have a lot of time for yourself. So that's why for me, that's, I have to leave the house and do that way. Something I wanted to go back to, uh, in terms of exercise, um, we did do a podcast on this, but something that I do know can make a big impact. And, um, I've been following this account on Instagram that has been working with the elderly in Germany and it's play. And he basically, he does like physiotherapy, I guess you could say with the with elderly, he goes into these, um, I guess, retirement homes and he has them engage in different play-like activities. Like he takes like, a, like ping pong balls and takes a tin, like a, a muffin tray and then they have to throw the ball down the, the, the table to get the balls in the tray. So, and then, or he'll like set up cardboard, like shuffleboard and he has little holes or, you know what I mean? They have like, he gets a piece of cardboard, puts a hole in the middle and they have to kind of move the ball, uh, the ball into the hole and that type of stuff. It's such a fantastic way. And I'm like, it totally engaged me. And I'm like, we need to be doing more of that. And I know something that I've asked you before, you know, when I ask you about, you know, your patients and, um, of all the, the natural laws and the basic treatment guidelines, what's the hardest one for people to do? And it's play and play engages the brain in so many amazing ways. And I think the fact that play is so hard for people that that has to play into the cognitive decline. Yes, absolutely. It does the because of the fact that we it's on the back burner. And, you know, once we always are engaging children, you know, we, you know kids are playing soccer and hockey and baseball and basketball and they're running around, uh, you know, et cetera. But, as soon as we sort of move into our 20s and are settled down and have a job and feel we have these responsibilities, we forget that that play is is actually equally important as an adult as it is as it was when we were a child. And you know, why do why do we encourage play with children? Uh, because it it actually it is part of their brain development and it's a social interaction, which is why a sport that involves uh, other other children. Uh, it's such a good thing because you learn how to interact with other kids. You learn how to, you know, different people, different colors, different races are all, it's all great. We're all the same. We all need the same uh, type of uh, interaction uh, to be able to do that. Uh, and somehow we just put that on the back burner 
uh, you know, which is, as you just said, it is without, 100% the hardest thing for people to do. They, you know, they would rather do a nebulizer and castor oil pack, believe it or not, than, than engage in something that's called play. And I always remember, you know, when I grew up, and which was the biggest difference when we moved to the United States 40 some years ago, that, you know, when I grew up, when, you know, when the football game was on, it wasn't a function of just watching it. Uh, after the game was over, all the parents in the neighborhood would go to the park and we'd play football. And they were playing just as much as we were as kids, uh, per se, or whether it was football or baseball or basketball or even hockey. Uh, they would get the skates on and they wouldn't just be standing there watching. And I found in the United States, we were much more of a spectator sport uh, population than in the Canadians. And I don't know if that's still true since I left sort of many years ago, uh, per se. But I found when I grew up, uh, Canadian dads and moms, for that matter, were much more engaged in, the, in participating in the sport as a play as opposed to just watching their children uh, engage in the sport. That's a good point. I'm like, I would say because I'm a Canadian parent, there is a lot of standing around <laughs> soccer games and stuff. But I mean, there's times where, you know, we I I I am. But I apparently I'm different, but I do engage with my kids like I get out and we practice and we kick the ball together and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would say it's probably Canadians are probably getting, unfortunately, a little more spectator ish. Is cognitive climb permanent? Uh, the good thing about that is the answer is no. Uh, it's more, it's in, in fact, it's, it's the, re the newest research, newer research and something that uh, we haven't touched on is the idea of light therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, and they use the use of light uh, and uh, we actually are able to re-stimulate the, the neurons in the brain. We're able to re remake uh, neural connections. The research, uh, started even 20 years ago with alzheimer's specifically and they've they've actually found that uh, there actually is is very promising you know right now with alzheimer's the but the only approach is that they keep looking for some miracle medication but then they say well it may help for six months it may help six months which is fine if you want to get your affairs in order but uh you know the reality is it's, there's nothing lasting however they are finding certainly in animal models that uh, you can take an animal model and you know put them into a state of memory decline, treat them with laser type therapies, red light therapy, where you can actually regenerate that, and they're able to go through the maze and you know that type of activity uh, that uh, that they did before uh, that particular state. So yes, absolutely, uh, it's never too late to engage. Unfortunately, if a person already is in a state of uh, significant uh, decline, it's much more difficult uh, to do that. However, they can put, you know, a red light helmet on. We can do it nasally. We can do ear clips. We can do it in a mouth guard, uh, per se, of ways of delivering uh, red light therapy literally into the brain. But I feel very positive uh, about that. In fact, uh, I'm going to be recommending and adding that for people who do the brain protocol because I think it will further enhance the effect of the, the really positive effect. So you won't read that in the uh, in the book that I just wrote. I guess next edition uh, that will we'll have to make an addendum and say this is an additional type of therapy that you could be doing on a regular basis. Uh, 
uh, you know, and it's not not only for your brain, it's for healing anything. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you have surgery, if you put light therapy uh, over a surgery site, it's going to heal a lot faster. Uh, you know, so there's so much positive aspects that light therapy in a whole variety of different ways. People are familiar with lasers now. Uh, it's not an uncommon. It's used in dentistry. I mean, every type of specialty uses lasers. Uh, you know, in, in general. So lasers, I would say, are the future or light there. Photomodulation, let's use the proper term. Photomodulation uh, is actually the term that we should be using because the, the use which uses then light, different aspects of the electromagnetic spectrum at different wavelengths, but that are important uh, that there are different wavelengths because one wavelength will do one thing and a different wavelength will do something else, just like, you know, an X-ray is a one wavelength. The light that uh, you know, the the light that we see is a one wavelength, uh, et, et cetera. So that that I think is the future. That, in my belief, in addition to supporting all the things that we've already said today, as a as an ongoing preventive component uh, that we'd like you to be doing, uh, that is for any type of cognitive decline to minimize that. Uh, and whether you're talking ADD or ADHD or anxiety or depression. Uh, I think there's there's a much bigger field of uh, possibility uh, that we're now going to find uh, as research goes on, seeing that it is going to be dramatically more effective than pharmaceutical, which you know won't, the pharmaceutical industry will not be happy to hear that. But you know mm-hmm. this is the type of thing you do at home. You don't have to take something; you have to do something. You know it's another we'll call it another basic treatment guideline and you know right. the photomodulation aspects is like getting that's why sunshine is a is a one of the btgs because we are actually getting that light therapy uh to our to our body and you know i happen to live in a place where we get lots of sun uh your your where you live is not so much happened sun. i don't <laughs> we don't you know? so yeah. you need to do the external aspects you need to that's right. buy something and do Happy it light. I, I can go and sit outside because uh, it's sunny over 300 days a year here in arizona so well speaking know, of which it's it's funny that you mentioned that because late the last couple of days it's been super sunny and it's like we've been going through some storms but the last two days when you go outside the sun like my eyes almost like they don't burn but it's like it's almost too bright so it's like my brain is adjusting to this new because the days are longer and whatnot and it's like i'm actually feeling the effects of actually seeing more sun now and because we haven't seen it in a long time because we had so much so many storms and so many cloudy days and now and like the sun is higher and, and whatnot so that's impacting um the light and it's impacting my brain and i can actually feel it and it's like holy moly like today i was doing a little bit of cold therapy i went outside i was in my sauna and then i went outside and i was like whoa it was I felt that and like it's a little bit harder to look so i mean sunlight's a, a big one but um photomodulation therapy i think sounds like we sh- it should it's podcast worthy yes <laughs> i have to do one on that well there's certainly uh more information that can be shared uh, in regards to that and what to look for uh and you know down the road and so whether it's a whole podcast or part of uh, one that we do in the future uh, okay it's easily a, uh, an important one Right on. We'll put that on the list. Um, one final question I have, um, unless you have other things to say, but um, it, so uh, is there like in terms of early detection or, you know, preventative medicine and whatnot? So if I am working with my doctor and I am noticing that um, I have a few of the symptoms, 
is there a, a blood test that I can ask my doctor to take so that I can help get ahead of this? Not that I know of, although, you know, you did bring up a, uh, an interesting component of that. Unfortunately, it's been a while since I taught the neurology course uh, at the university. Uh, but back in the day when I was still teaching it, uh, they were using a smell test. Uh, ah. and different smells uh, that people could recognize or not was was to be an indicator potentially and i do somehow because i read so many medical journals let's say in the last six months i did not look up that for this podcast but i i think there is some probably research some test more recently that has there has some potential of, of being an indicator right now i'd say the one of the best indicators is homocysteine that one's easily measured and if your homocysteine is over five ask your doctor what can i do about it uh, you know doesn't mean you have dementia doesn't mean you're going to have dementia but that researcher that i listened to some time ago said in his opinion it's one thing that is you can it's one you factor can impact one factor uh as an indicator uh, you know, it doesn't also mean that if you're, you know, homocysteine is three, that you're you're out of the woods. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing all the things that we've just been talking about. But it absolutely is a component. And you know, if your homocysteine is elevated, it just means you have to work harder. It just means oh, I'm doomed. It just means you have to work harder to make sure that you have uh, all the proper nutrients and all the oxygen and the, and the hydration. And, you know doing the brain activities etc cetera, etc cetera. play uh you know play you need to do all that stuff and you need to make time in your life because if you want to be you know 85 years old and still be able to engage uh very successfully then now's the time to do it don't wait until you get there and then try and fix it you know what i always have heard i've heard it so often you know, when people are more than willing to do anything that they need to when it's broken, I said, mm -hmm. why wait till it's broken? When it's starting to bend, it's not broken yet. So correct it now so you don't actually have to wait until the thing is broken. Yep. Take a proactive self-healing approach. Absolutely. Like, why wait? Why it, wait? Yep. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Well, we covered so much ground. I know it's, it's like an hour. It's like it's, you see how how this <laughs> we get we almost go down the rabbit hole, and it's like, oh my god, it's everything. I'm doomed. No, you're not doomed. No, because Where's these are the everyday things. Yeah, we what got, can we? We got all kinds of hope. We got all kinds of hope because we know that, uh, as I said, even with the advent of photomodulation, I mean that has brought a whole new dimension into this whole. The whole picture in addition to everything uh you know and yes it's been around forever but it's i'll say in the last few years it's much more uh, we have much more greater awareness of the importance of uh, that aspect as far as truly healing uh depending how far down the this journey you are as far as the cognitive decline okay. but remember it's not just cognitive decline it's everything else that affects the brain and i think uh, the this type of uh, therapy will also become much more important in the aspects of uh, mental illness that uh, people are much, much more aware of. Right. So to recap, breathing, hydration, diet, supplements, movement, uh, play, play, movement, exercise. Those are the things. These are the 
proactive therapies that you can take to help you with Absolutely. preventing cognitive decline or helping you with if you do are showing signs of symptoms like if you're somebody that's con stress you know like what so just to recap the signs and symptoms of cognitive decline is i can't remember where i put my keys those are early signs yeah those are early signs is what other signs are, are do you have any i others? mean as as you as it progresses of course they become more serious uh you know the you know the day of i mean i've had several patients where they they were taking care of an elderly of their elderly parent uh, per se they would go to work unfortunately this has happened twice they got a call from the fire department for their elderly parent put something on the stove went outside and burnt their house down wow you know, it's i mean pretty pretty serious very serious consequences uh you know that type of thing uh, per se and and uh you know uh your grandfather i remember you know and at his stage uh you know he would drive to the bank mm -hmm. not remember that he drove there and he'd walk home and say where's the car like yeah. where did your mother go where did my wife go what do you mean she's at home like where's the car oh it's at the bank it is how to get there i mean it's that type of thing when it when it gets even Fair. more advanced uh you know for, for for what's going on so you know these but pay attention to the everyday things uh get a bunch of stuff off your plate make sure you're hydrated make sure you're getting enough oxygen make sure you're playing and those everyday things will become less and less Absolutely. Uh, so you remember where you put your keys and you remember why you went into the other room yeah, almost don't... always you know when you go in the other room and forget it's because you're trying to think of three things at once as you're walking there so what did i come here for yep yeah, don't rely on your Apple tags, yeah. <laughs> your geo tags or whatever to find your keys. If that if that's what you have them for, then that's a sign you need to start doing these things, right? So if yeah. you're, you know, using your AI all the time and you're like asking Google to write a, a speech for you, that's a sign you need to start doing these things. So, you know, call yourself out for what it is and help yourself prevent cognitive decline so thanks so much for all the information dad always a pleasure um next time we are going to dive into the world of digestion oh my favorite topic because digestion affects everything <laughs> and it was a big beast for me um and continues to be uh, as i continue to learn and understand my own um, but all the factors that go along with that so thanks so much for sharing your information dad is there anything else you'd like to finish off with be active be busy and uh don't be concerned about the fact that th it is an inevitability because we have so many positive tools that uh, you can live a very healthy life well into your 80s and 90s and be sharp as a tack fantastic so thank you so much for being here and for listening and supporting us. Uh, we appreciate you. Stay tuned for our next podcast on digestion. Bye, everybody. We want to remind you that knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power, where knowledge turns to experience. We encourage you to implement the information shared, allowing you to shift your energy from head to heart. If this is your first time listening, we would love for you to subscribe uh, to connect and grow with us in the coming weeks. If you'd like we, what you've been hearing today, we encourage you to go wherever you're listening to leave a review. Tell us what you loved about the episode. Tell us which one was your favorite and share topics you would like us to talk about. 
And if you're interested in learning more about biological medicine, uh, go to my website, drdixontom.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how to shift your nervous system and heal using movement, I encourage you to visit fitimize.ca to learn more. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to connecting with you on the next episode.